In this series of talks, we'll be focusing on inclusive design, designing for access for everyone, and because we don't think we need to compromise between usability and accessibility. I'm Alan. And I'm David, and we would like to welcome Sean Doran, Brian Manning, and Miriam Kelly from the NCBI, the National Council for the Blind Ireland. First, would you guys like to say a little bit about yourself? Sean, would you like to take it away? Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm Sean Doran. I'm a, a technical trainer in NCBI, and I'm a project lead. So we've been doing a lot of work recently in this particular field of app design and accessibility. So hopefully we can answer your questions today. Hi, I'm Brian Manning, and I'm also an IT trainer and technical support worker for NCBI. Um, so and not just do I train people in assistive technology and in using all of these various accessible apps. I'm also very interested in the you know, in inclusion and in the design of these apps and pieces of software as I'm also a vision impaired person, I'm a blind person, so I also use the apps and I also use um, the assistive software as well. So I have a keen interest in what you're hoping to achieve as well. Fantastic. And Miriam, if you'd like to just jump in as well and just uh, your name and then uh, maybe a little bit about yourself. Hello everybody, my name is Miriam Kelly and I'm an IT trainer with MCBI and I work in head office in Dublin and I have been with NCBI now for 11 years. I am a sighted IT trainer and technical support worker, so I work closely with Brian. I come from a training background prior to working with NCBI. I had my own computer training company, so I really enjoy training and had a huge interest in the accessibility aspect of training. So I'm very privileged to have been working with NCBI for the last 11 years. And the training has upped the game a little bit now during our COVID period. So we're seeing a huge increase in training virtually with our visually impaired and blind users. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Really, it's fantastic. So perhaps to start, can you introduce us to some real users' needs? Real users' needs in terms of someone with sight loss is um, when you're building an app, when you're building it for someone with sight, like we're laying it out in the order we want people to read it and access information for that to flow correctly for someone with, with sight. So when it comes to someone using a screen reader or assistive technology, like we're very concerned that the focus of the, of the app, the reading order, follows that same process. So we need things labeled correctly, images having all text buttons labeled, links correctly labeled, not just having a click here or press this button link. When the person is using a screen reader, it all makes absolute sense. They can follow it like anybody else because once you're trained on how to do these things, the only obstacle is if the person on the other side hasn't built the app correctly. I agree there with what Sean said. And certainly from a, from a training point of view, if things are not labeled correctly, whether they're on websites, even forms, you know, you could have somebody who's got a pretty accessible form on the web and maybe they get to the last step and the submit button isn't labeled or there's something wrong with just letting them get to the next stop. Could you imagine if you had to work with websites or apps that allowed you to do so much and then just dropped you down, just let you go? The frustration level of that. So it comes really to, as Sean said, labelling everything. Every single thing should be labelled and labelled appropriately, I think. That's the first step. Also, the navigation steps, you know, for online forms, that they follow in sequential, you know, order, that you're not kind of having to jump, hop all over the place. Visually, that's fine. But if you have no vision, that's like a nightmare to try and complete something. So I suppose just common sense, really, in a lot of cases, but certainly labelling everything. I know for some websites for shopping online, when things are constantly changing, it's a, it's a little trickier to do that. But Brian, as a, as a user and also as an IT trainer, could probably jump in here as well. 
And again, for the apps, as Sean said, you know, accessible apps should be accessible to everyone. And that means you have to up your game when it comes to knowledge of what, what is vision impairment. Sometimes people have vision, but they can't see colours or maybe they can't see the screen unless you have specific colours there and then they can actually use it. So that makes your app very accessible, those kind of things. So just make sure you're very up to date with your knowledge of who your audience is, who you're targeting. How would you like it if you had to negotiate a website that was presenting you with utter frustration simply because of one or two glitches? And it could be very well developed otherwise. So although there is a basic requirement for companies to have their websites accessible, sometimes that's all they do. They go, okay, we've met the standard. It's accessible now. We've met the basic needs. And should that should that's grand? It's not grand. It's not grand. You should be setting a standard. You should be providing a standard. You should be moving. You should be involved in creating that standard. And there's laws in different countries around accessibilities as well. I think as well we can't overemphasize the importance of inclusion in the design of these websites and in the design of the apps. I mean, if you can get inclusion right when you're designing an app or when you're building a website i think that you're 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 nine tenths there already i mean it's hard to it's hard to change the structure of a website or it's it's more involved to change the structure of an app when it's already been created and when we've identified the flaws of the bugs in it so if we get it right at design stage then i think we're almost there at that level and again just to i suppose to just exemplify the importance of these apps and of these websites for the inclusion of everyone with a vision impairment i mean just imagine the significance of, for example, a person who maybe in middle age has lost their sight, used to reading the newspapers, used to reading their own mail, having great levels of independence. And then we say to them, you know, OK, you're in your 60s. You can still read the Irish Examiner. You can still read the, the Irish Independent. You can still, you know, read your, your own post. You can still have a huge, a great quality of life living in your home or living in your community because of all of these apps, because of all of these pieces of technology. And... We can show them how we can show them how to access that independence through these different technologies, but we're very, very dependent as well on, you know, the design of these apps and the design of these websites and where they have included when they have, you know, involved or when they have considered the needs and the accessibility issues around vision impairment and around blindness. Then it is a great source of of, of quality of life, of independent living, and of overall, I suppose, acceptance of of a person's vision impairment because. You know, technology is that important to vision impaired people, not to blind people. So it's a huge responsibility that you, you guys have actually when you're designing these apps and when you're designing these websites for, for us, for vision impaired people or for blind people. Don't sit back and go, well, this is an okay standard. You know, push yourselves, constantly push yourselves. Don't, don't look to see what's there. See what's not there. Also, I would suggest to you that, you know, if websites are not accessible, there's a, a global population, there's a global community of visually impaired users of 285 million. And of those, 39 million are completely blind. Now, if they can't access my website and buy my products, you have really done me a disservice. You have deprived me of their credit cards. Yeah. <laughs> so even for business, you know, they'll go and shop somewhere else. So come at it from all angles. Come at it from your experience, come at it, you know, from your heart, come at it from finance, come at it, as Brian says, for independence. You know, it's terribly important. It's awful for someone to say to somebody, could you read my post for me? How would you like it? And it's a simple fix with a lot of good learning and good knowledge and good skill behind it. 
just a, even from a basic point of view of like when we're learning how to do HTML, the first lesson is always labeling in HTML, label the text box, label a button, label a table. And we all learned that for the first month. And then we immediately all dropped that when we start building websites or building <laughs> anything. And that is probably the, one of the key elements of, of what Brian and Miriam's getting across there, that we need that, like that fundamentals. And like, if you look at an analogy, like um, if you train a person uh, with a white cane and they learn all the skills to navigate all around the city, and then we park our cars and leave our wheelie bins on the footpaths, we're creating these obstacles and like the, the skills that a person has learned has been tested even more because of that. So we're teaching people how to use screen readers, teaching people how to access information and then apps or websites are being delivered, which is blocking that then. So it's very frustrating. So we're all sort of conscious of, the, of, of, the, of that kind of environment that, you know, we have to be aware that other people are going to be using this app without, you know, without sight or, or other senses. And I think, you know, both as a, a user of technology and also as a developer, that the demands of users, you know, they drive the systems forward. And that's going to be the same for visually impaired as they become using now more and more mainstream. And Brian can talk about this of how just just the enormous leap there has been for the visually impaired to be able to use mainstream, more mainstream technologies now than what he had to use just maybe even as far back as only 10 years ago. And it's clear that web developers need to take a very committed and educated approach to building accessible apps and websites. And the criteria should come from an informed, standardized, I think, techniques and a vigilant eye on what's coming down the line as well. You know, you guys, as Sean said, you know, the responsibilities on your shoulders, the responsibilities. But that's a very proud, that's a very proud position that you should take. We live in a world. It's, you know, and certainly since COVID has taught the entire universe, (laughs) you know, how dependent we are on digital, you know. And so it's on your shoulders, guys, to make the standard. If it's not high enough, why isn't it? Why isn't it? You know, simple, you know, you're not you're not built for comfort. You're built for greatness, you know, and that's the way it should be. Do you think the legislative standard of accessibility use, particularly in Ireland, is is high enough? And would you like to see it advanced or go further? Or is there any recommendations that you would have? Well, I was just going to say, unfortunately, the legislation is only as strong as the willingness or the determination to implement the, the, the legislation. And, you know, where it is, legislation is good. Unfortunately, perhaps it's not been as impl- implemented as fully or as comprehensively as we would like it to be implemented either. I mean, if, if you were to take the, the role or the, the, the importance of technology in the everyday lives of people with disabilities, with blind people or vision impaired people more particularly, we have access to a greater quality of life to, and to obviously, very importantly as well, to greater independent living. And to a large extent, that has come through technology. It's come through the enhancement in technology. 10, 15 years ago, as Miriam has already alluded to, we had very specialised technologies for blind or vision impaired people, whereas more recently, where we are becoming more dependent on mainstream uh, technologies such as you know your smartphone, your 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 smart tablets, and because there is a lot of inclusion built in to these platforms, it's enabling vision impaired or blind people to get greater access, as I say, to education, to employment, quality of life, to independent living, and the legislation is there to insist that this inclusion is guaranteed and it, that it, that there will be a promotion of this independent going forward, independence going forward, but it needs to be implemented and there has to be that willingness, that determination on the, on the part of legislators and on the part of, you know, like public bodies, on the part of, you know, the, like Ireland is full, it's a wash 
would be corporate entities and the, the, the determination has to be within these corporate determin- uh, entities as well to implement these various kind of statutes and these various you know, instruments of legislation to ensure that the independence is there and that the inclusion is there. And I think a lot too comes from, you know, from our point of view, to make the public aware. You know, quite often I will get a silent response if I say to someone now that, you know, I'm working with people with vision impairment and teaching them how to use computers. There's a silence. People go like, we're trying to figure out how does someone who cannot see work with a computer so in fairness, there has to be, you know, an education around the conversation as well, I think. I've met the most interesting people since I started working with NCBI. I've met barristers, programmers, the CEO before this CEO was uh, completely blind and was CEO for 30 years of the entire organization. Telephonists, executive officers, clinical psychologists, uh, musicians, radio hosts. I mean, there's just such an array of people that can actually work. And technology, as Brian says, is such an enabler. And I suppose Sean would be able to take up on how that's performed with good design, maybe. So, yeah, so borrow bar the basics of labeling things. It is heavily, you know, depends on layout. Like I said, when we're building a website, we want that to be, we always build it visually logical, where we have, you know, a hierarchy of descriptions and eventually, um you might you might have end up at a buy now button or pay button or, or, or for example, so the screen reader has to match that. Like uh, when you open up a web page or an app, the focus of the screen reader can sometimes jump to the middle of the page. Therefore, you're denying someone the information before that. They might start navigating through the website normally, missing the first portion of the website. So we kind of have to think of focus control, uh, reading order, tabbing order, whatever you want to call it. That. When we go to a new web page, we go to the start of the web page. So therefore, when we navigate through the website, it's following as the eye would follow all the information on the screen, accessing everything that we need to access. Uh, and that's very important. And I'm sure Brian can allude to this when we're filling out forms on certain websites. Not to, not to go over labeling again, but all they all need to be labeled. But sometimes on certain forms, if you fill out a name, that's fine. You move to the next box, you fill out your address. But it could be a, gen, a gender form or some sort of drop down. And often sometimes the page refreshes when you pick them and the focus tr- brings you back to the top of the screen again. And therefore, I have to navigate through the screen again to get back down to that question. And then it might be maybe a date of birth and that, that might have some drop downs. And sometimes that focus can bring me back up to the top of the screen after picking a month, for example. And then I'm all the way through the website again, navigating, about getting back down. to, And that becomes more and more frustrating as we go. Last night, I tried to subscribe to a particular channel and like that. I mean, I could easily do it. I could do it. But again, the page kept refreshing. And eventually, I just turned voiceover off and I came, went to a sighted person. I just said, look, I can do it. It's going to take me kind of 15 minutes longer than it's going to take you to do it. You just fill in that form for me, you know. And that's not ideal. I mean, I'm a good person. I'm a good, experienced user of these technologies. And I just got frustrated. It was almost a time thing. and It was a frustration thing. I just thought, I don't know, I just get so excited to do it. That's not ideal either. You know, we need to be creating these apps and these um, systems where everyone can gain access to it. Is there any kind of a, a name and shame type list online that, that users can see or consumers can see? Is there any websites like is Amazon, for example? How are they? Yeah, Amazon's pretty good. Yeah. Amazon's okay. quite good. Yeah. Yeah. And, both, I, and I would say, David, from a website point of view, when you're working, you know, with the actual screen reader, and also when I'm working with um, an iPad. In fact, I would use Amazon as a good website, as an example, because it's very 
It's very easy to navigate with voiceover on the iPad, and it's actually quite accessible as well when you're navigating with a screen reader. So actually, Amazon is a really good one. So would I say that about all the rest of them? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> I mean, so, the statistics used to be that um, like 37 of websites, which were mainly public government type websites, corporate type websites, were very accessible. You'd have maybe another 30% in the middle that were kind of, that, that would be, if, if you're an experienced screen reader user, you'd get around, you'd be able to navigate your, your way around. And then there was the last third, we'll say, which were kind of heavily graphically based websites and like they were just total disasters for screen readers. Now, those statistics would go back four or five years maybe. I'm not sure what the actual up-to-date um, stats would be, but they were the old ones that I used to, to kind of base my judgments on anyway. And I suppose the thing to remember is like a website that cannot be, it cannot be deemed accessible if the functional components are not you know, functional for all users. Exactly. And it, it, it's like the, these focus issues are something that you kind of have to kind of become aware of that we want the web page to act with a screen reader the way the eye would. So we start at the top, work our way through it. But sometimes we might do a search and um, instead of going to the top of the page, maybe that search should bring us to the heading level one of that search result. So there is, there is kind of things of like, well, what is the best experience for someone with sight loss? Like, Generally, bringing you to the top of the page every time is good. But if I go back a page, do I want to end up in the mobile menu or do I want to actually just be on that page? There's lots of things to consider. A lot of that's through experience. And like our own website just launched about uh, three hours ago today, an updated website. So I've been testing that for the last six or seven months. And just little things you find like developers are very good and they're, they're building it as best they can. But it's just little things like that they might not know. If you were to maybe even just use a screen reader, and maybe turn your screen off and see how the screen react, reacts with your website. Or you take your phone, you turn voice over on your phone and don't look at the screen, try and navigate through it. It, is, it opens up a whole new world of like what people are going through. It seems like there's a scale of complexity and difficulty. Oh, absolutely, there is. And um, fundamentally, you want the website to be functional and work correctly. And sometimes we find out it doesn't work functionally because we are doing such detailed work with screen readers we were actually had a group of students in Maynooth and they were using uh, one of the taxi apps just to book a taxi. These were students about 15, 16 years old. And immediately one of the students found that when he went into the app, and went into the driver details, there was no way to get back out of that. And that's something all of us missed. We weren't testing the app for this taxi company. It just happened, oh, this might be a good app to use. And immediately that, that, that student found that when he went in just to look at driver details, he couldn't get back out. He had to shut the whole app down and begin the process again. So Brian, for you, you must have acquired a lot of recovery strategies to get back to, say, a square one, be, to recover from a, you know, a bad design. Yeah, I mean, you know, like obviously there are keyboard shortcuts that you can use if you're on a website. So if pop-up comes in that you, you don't want, you need to avoid, or if, you know, as Sean said, you're brought into a page that won't, that won't uh, allow you to come back out of it. Like there are shortcuts that you can use. There are, you know, devices that you can use within, you just said, the iPhone using voiceover. And there are th- there are things that I would recommend to people. I mean, I would always recommend, for example, if you're going to be if you're going on websites or if you're going on using new apps and things like that, always make sure the app switcher is fairly empty. That the um, the iPhone has it, it can use all of its resources to do what you want it to do. There are little things that you can do and that you can advise people on. But I mean, again, if the website isn't designed properly, if the app doesn't have the the proper design included in in our, our proper accessibility included in the design of the app, then I mean, again, like Sean says, you are in a position there where you do need to go back. You do need to, um, 
You do need to start from the beginning. And I mean, and there are, for example, if, if buttons aren't labeled properly on, on, on particular apps, I mean, again, you can, you can, like there is a, a voiceover command that you can use to kind of label buttons. But again, you need to say to the systems to do that. And then if the app updates or anything like that, then all your labeling is gone as well. So, I mean, even these, they, 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 these little shortcuts or even these little hints and tips that you can give people to bypass some of the, um, some of the anomalies, even if when you do try and correct some of the designs, the next update, they're all gone again. VoiceOver, as Brian would probably testify to, it enables you to navigate your device without any vision whatsoever. In fact, I'm, I have online courses at the moment and I have over 30 people training at the moment and 20 of those are learning how to navigate their iPads with voiceover. And so they're doing extremely well and they're, they're delighted because it's now going to enable them. They can't depend on Siri all the time, even though Siri's terrific. But what happens if Siri is not available for, you know, for Wi-Fi connections or whatever the case may be? But voiceover will tell them every single step and maybe at a later stage I'll give you a little demonstration of that or Brian could do a demonstration of that for you. Compared to what we had kind of 10-15 years ago, voiceover <laughs> and iOS has really opened up so many doors for vision impaired or blind people and it really has this mainstream technology. It's just a setting that you turn on in your iPad or in your iPhone and it really makes the whole it really makes the whole iPhone accessible to you. You know, whether whether it's just to use it as a simple phone, making and receiving phone calls text messages, right up to the specialised apps that are there. I mean, we have apps now that are specifically designed for blind people that will do things like, you know, read text for you. It will kind of, you know, give you access to barcodes on products so you know what product you're, 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 you have in front of you. It will allow you to ch- check colours, check currency, that kind of stuff. So you have specifically designed apps for blind people as well. But the iPhone and voiceover, that was the key game changer, really. That was the one that kind of, that gave, that, that gave blind people access to the mainstream and if you told me 20 years ago that I'd be going to work reading a newspaper, I would have thought that it was impossible. Whereas, no, I mean, anytime I'm on a bus and probably I'm reading a newspaper or reading a book on Kindle or something like that. And that's all down to uh, down to the whole development of, of the iPhone and voiceover. And just to give you a bit of context about voiceover, when you turn that on in your uh, phone settings, the phone behaves differently while a visual person touches an icon and it activates. When voiceover's on, we swipe from left to right on the screen and that behave, that acts like a tab. And swiping from right to left will act like a shift tab. So we're moving through elements on the screen and the voiceover reads out what each element is and it'll let you know if it's clickable or what, what you can do to it. So if we do get to an icon that we want to activate, like just imagine WhatsApp, we double tap, it opens up the WhatsApp app, it'll move to wherever the focus is, we'll swipe until we get to whatever message you want to get to, double tap, swipe to get to compose double tap and then the keyboard will open as normal and then there's different ways of inputting through the keyboard we can swipe through the keyboard there's voice dictation now which works quite well with the keyboard but most people uh, would probably use the keyboard brian if they're in a public place i'd imagine but uh, dictation is fantastic to enter something really quickly into a form field yeah absolutely i mean a lot of people are using these smaller bluetooth keyboards as well so if they do need to type something they can just type it in fairly quickly as well but um even within apple there's an apps there's an absolutely fantastic dictation facility built in so like just next to the left of the space bar and on all of the on-screen keyboards you have this microphone image or the microphone icon you double tap on that with one finger then it starts the dictation and dictation is it's a lot more functional than than siri and you can be would have nearly 95 percent kind of in the right environment and right hearing conditions you can get about 95 percent accuracy 
with uh, with dictation. So that allows you to input your, your text as well, which is very good. You know, just in recent times, I mean, because of COVID, we've all been kind of, you know, dry kicking and screaming, even if we didn't want to, you know, to join either Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever. And from an accessibility point of view, they're pretty, they're pretty okay, aren't they, Brian? Yeah, they're very okay. And uh, funny enough, the whole thing about like <laughs> Zoom, I, I have to like we've been we we've been concentrating a lot on Teams and NCBI, yeah. and I've been at a few Zoom meetings. Um, not uh, I've been at I think it's about my third Zoom meeting, and I totally forgot the mute key for Zoom. So <laughs> <laughs> that was my guide dog barking there a while ago, and I forgot the Zoom key to to to. to. But there are shortcut keys for an awful lot of the features. In Zoom, in Teams, in WebEx, mm. in all of these new applications, these new platforms. So again, you can kind of like vision impaired people are are getting total access to them, um, and while the key, key structures are built in. So, for example, if you're using your iPhone and you want to mute on the iPhone, like the microphone, the mute microphone is just above the home button, so you can use, so you can actually use um, the, the the home key as a direction, as as a locator for the, the the mute button as well. And things like that are important as well. Locational information, you know where. Once, you, once you're familiar with an app or once you're familiar with where an app is on a screen, then you can use the locational information as well that you have, and the familiarity of the layout of the app to kind of find where these buttons are as well. So that's quite useful as well. Could it be improved, Brian, from, from your point of view? They kind of, of course, they can improve. And I mean, again, it would all be in the design of, of, of like, you see, the whole thing about it, like the iPhone and voiceover with iOS, it's, 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 it's there pretty much. It's yeah. just, unfortunately, some of the, you know, some of the, the apps that they can be improved on, they can leave a fair bit to be desired. To be honest with you, uh, how tough is the disability audience for suppliers to satisfy, and how do you get them on side? Exactly, and like this kind of leads us directly into that because um, word of mouth on on all apps is, is quite is quite fast. But in the visually impaired community, like if, if an app doesn't work, community. Brian, you can you can probably attest this. We'll all interact and let people know that this app doesn't work well. This app isn't great, and therefore that app will get a bad name starting off, and then people might not use it because all the frustrations that goes with apps that don't work well, like Brian was saying about that filling out that form taking fifteen minutes. If Brian was to tell someone that this form on this website or this app is going to take this, people go, "I'm not going to use that." So it's kind of like out of the box hitting the ground running. Like it's always good to have good working accessibility because you could defer an entire audience of people away from your app. So as, as people become more conscious about accessibility, it, it should be anything you build, website, app, anything should have accessibility in mind so you can reach all demographics and all audiences and not kind of divert people away from your app. So if you're prepared to listen, you will find out and you will learn and you'll be able to turn that into something better and more functional. I remember when I first came to NCBI about five years ago, Everyone was saying to me, oh, don't use Chrome with JAWS, the screen reader. I was going, well, no, it works fine. But two, two or three years before that, when, when Chrome was first released, it didn't. The APIs just weren't there. It wasn't connecting correctly. And it was a disaster. But then that put people off using Chrome for another three or four years. It was only when Internet Explorer completely dropped support that people started moving towards. And like, that's crazy. Like Everyone was kind of moving away from Internet Explorer long before that. But the things that worked well in Internet Explorer worked very well with screen readers. And that's why people did stay with it. Bookmarking, navigation, everything was brilliant in it. And Chrome, it took a while for that to catch up. And then just when screen wouldn't interact with it at all. And the same happened when Microsoft first released Edge. No APIs were given. There was no access to it. It was the default app when you uh, default to browser when you updated to Windows 10. And then your screen reader just wouldn't work with it. So 
I don't think anyone used Edge, the original Microsoft Edge, but definitely people with screen readers didn't. You know, bearing in mind the speed the technology has developed, just even in the last five years, Sean, I would say, even since you've joined NCBI, I mean, there were so many versions of the operating system, so many versions of the screen readers. One wouldn't work with such and such an operating system. This version of JAWS wouldn't work with that, you know. And, you know, not to dishearten the developers, I think we have got some phenomenal software and apps out there that have worked just fantastic. We're trying to give you kind of all the, the, the pitfalls that you're going to come across and just trying to educate you. So don't get disheartened. There's phenomenal softwares and apps out there and they're just changing their, you know, that expression, you know, it just changed my life completely. It honestly is true. It honestly is true if you get it right, which is just fantastic. You're giving a great gift to people by giving them software and hardware that they can use. And again, I mean, I suppose there's a certain expectation after building up as well now where people who are vision impaired expect to have equal access to websites and to these apps. And that level of expectation is to be welcomed and it's to be in supported. Before you're right, Sean, when Google Chrome did come out and when Edge did come out, it was almost expe- accepted at that stage, OK, it doesn't work for us, we'll continue with Internet Explorer. Whereas now I think the, the, the levels of expectation are such that I'm not sure it would be just accepted. They have improved. And Windows 10 has definitely improved a lot of the accessibility features than some of the previous operating systems. And Apple have always been very conscious of of, of including in the design of of their various platforms. And again, that's very much kind of built on the the, the premise on the behalf of neither vision impaired people that we're not going to accept anymore that these things aren't aren't accessible. There's a certain demand out there now that we... And it's so important to the everyday lives of vision impaired or blind people that these apps are accessible i mean one of my great fears and this might sound very this might sound very um pessimistic or dire but one of my great fears and it nearly came true a couple of years ago when we had the development of all of these graphically based web design programs and i thought oh my god if if if, if these guis take over if, if these graphical based things take over then whatever achievements whatever strides forward we've made in the past 10 or 15 years will be lost in a day fortunately we do seem to have moved away from that as well and again, I mean, like even the whole the whole development of touchscreen. I mean, touchscreen initially, I, I I was very afraid of it. No, obviously, I'm delighted with it, especially you know with things like the iPhone and with with voiceover and things like that. But we're still faced with touchscreen issues. For example, you know, like I, I was in the Portugal last two years ago. This stage it was nearly the last trip I was on. But I mean, it was a 24 hotel, a 24 story hotel, and there was a touchscreen lift in it, and and it had no accessibility built into it. So that was me snooker. The talks know that they're they're coming up with about maybe having some of the um, bank machines, some of the the, the the ATMs as touchscreen. Again, that would that's something that I would be very afraid of unless the needs and the inclusion of blind people are, are considered in the design of these things. You know, and also a lot of the restaurants in the states have actually now got you know when you sit at your table, there's a touchscreen menu there, and you have to kind of order to save the, the waitress the trouble of even saying hello to you. You know. But you're dead right about the touchscreen element. I wondered, every time I see them, I'm going, hmm, something else is not going to be accessible, you know? Yeah, and that's what I'm afraid of. Like, whatever strides forward we've made, and we definitely, we, we can't be complacent, but whatever strides we have made forward, I mean, I think we need to be, again, very, very careful to ensure that we don't lose any of that progress as well. Thank you so much, Sean, Brian, and Miriam, for coming in. We'll wrap it up there.